Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. I like to start sessions with absurd jokes. My mom said don't do it. You know what I mean? Mom's like, there's a holy hush in the room and the Lord's present. Then you break it. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel like I have an anointing of awkward. And let's just go with that. So here's my jokes. I play harmonica, but I have a unique way of doing it. You just drive real fast and hold the harmonica out the window. It's really, it's really special. The other day, my wife was yelling at me, and she was saying, you're not even listening. And all I could think was, well, that's a rude way to start a conversation. And I walked into a restaurant, and it was called Deja Vu, and the waiter looked at me, and he was like, don't I know you? Yeah, and the menu said breakfast anytime, so I ordered uh, French toast during the Renaissance. I walked into a general store, and uh, the clerk said, can I help you find anything specific? And I said, I guess not. And then I, uh, I put a new engine in my car, but I forgot to take the old one out, so now my car goes 300 miles an hour. But just in the harmonica, sounds amazing. I name my, this is my last one. I name my dog Stay, just to mess with him. Come here, Stay. Come here, Stay. And at first it was really hilarious, but now he just ignores me and keeps right on typing. Come on, guys. There's a twist ending. He keeps, oh my goodness. It's like those, uh, it's like those uh, messages where the guy's like, if you can't say amen, at least say ouch. You know? And I'm like, if you can't laugh, at least say that was just groan. Like, yeah, yeah. All right. There's a, reason I, there's a reason I'm so silly, and it's because I don't want to be that guy that's so serious that, okay, well, you'll see. You'll see, because this is a serious topic. The topic of the night is trying to answer the question, are all sins the same to God? Are all sins the same to God? And I've divided the talk into two parts. Part one, how are all sins not the same? And part two, how are all sins the same? You ready? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You've heard that it is said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you harbor lust in your heart, you are committing adultery in your heart. Question. Is Jesus saying that it would be just as bad for me to turn my... No, 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 i got to finish the verse. And you have said, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you that if you harbor resentment or contempt in your heart, you are committing murder in your heart. Okay, there we go. Is Jesus saying, is he saying that it would be just as bad for me to turn my heart away from you because you hurt my feelings 
as it would be for me to stab you in the face till you stop breathing. Is that what he's saying? Is Jesus saying that it would be just as bad for me to have a momentary lustful thought about someone, which I then replace with intercession and prayer, all right? That it's just as bad to harbor a momentary lustful thought about someone as it would be to embrace that lust as a pattern, as a lifestyle, ignoring the various warning layers of my conscience, and then plot and plan and scheme so that I can engage in an ongoing, covert, illicit sexual relationship with someone else's spouse, destructively impacting every single life connected with ours, like outwardly moving ripples in a pond. Are those the same? Is that what Jesus is saying? That's the same. It's the same. I was told it was when I was young in the faith. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think, and maybe I should just not answer the question, but, you know, I think this is Jesus' point. Lust and resentment are the inward roots. Adultery and murder are the outward fruits. Will you go with me there? I think his point is that our righteousness has to go beyond religious righteousness that manages our external behavior. Kingdom righteousness goes all the way into the depth of the human motive and heart and works a transformation. I want to yell. That's his point. So let me ask you this question. Do you have a category in your brain? Do you have a category in your belief system for the idea of some sins being smaller and some sins being bigger. Do you have that category? And if you don't have that, how would you make sense of, for example, like just, just a few examples, like Matthew 23 where Jesus is the angriest I've ever seen Jesus. Who, who knows what, I'm, what, what Matthew 23 includes? The seven woes of Jesus against the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's the angriest I've ever seen Jesus. He says, you guys carefully tithe on your spices while you neglect the weightier matters. Well, that's an interesting expression, if all sins are the same. Weightier matters of the law. Namely, justice and mercy. He says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Well, isn't his point that sins aren't all the same in that? You strain out a gnat, you swallow a camel, which I take him to mean they carefully avoid smaller sins while diligently practicing greater sins. Gnats and camels. He says, you you travel over land and sea to make a single convert, and when the training process is complete, they are twice a son of hell as you. Bro, they were better before you converted them. That's amazing. But let me translate for you. They are worse sinners than you. Are you with me? Never mind. Don't respond. 
Do you have a mental category for the dynamic process that each one of us is becoming something every day? Either a worse sinner or a godlier saint. Do you have those categories? Jesus told parables intending to press home the weight of the eternal significance of our daily choices. He told parables intending to press home the weight to actually put pressure on us that our choices now matter forever. And then we develop theologies to relieve the tension. Are you with me? Sorry, I'm just going to ask those kind of questions, and you're allowed to respond, but you don't have to respond. Are you with me? Five ways that sins are not the same. Five ways that sins are not the same. Number one, sins have different internal consequences. Every moral choice, every moral choice turns our soul either closer to or further from Jesus and impacts who we are becoming. But some choices make a bigger impact. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul identifies sexual sin as having a bigger impact on us in a uniquely powerful way. He says, which I think victims of sexual abuse can testify. That one, made, that, that one put a dent in me. I need some Jesus healing for that one in a unique way. That, wow. And I think those who are stuck in sexual sin can testify. That, that's, that's the one. That's the one. That's, if I could get that broken off my life, that would be big. The greater the gift, the more powerful the gift is when it is used for good. Sex is a very good gift. Feels awkward to say to you guys, but at home I'd say amen, and then some people would say amen. Sex is a very good gift. So the greater the gift, the more powerful the gift can be used for good, and the more powerful it can be used for evil. And I'm not saying that's, I'm saying this as an example. Sins have different internal consequences. Second way, sins are not the same. Sins have different external consequences. I mean, I shouldn't really, I mean, you don't have to be smart to know the difference between slapping somebody and shooting somebody in the face. Different consequences. Different sentences in jail, okay? It's obvious that contempt in your heart and murder in real life have different external consequences. But each layer of sin's growth from seed to outward fruit has different, bigger, and bigger, both internal and external consequences. Anger, friends, isn't sin. Anger is not sin. But if we let the sun go down on our anger, it can grow into resentment. And then bitterness, and then contempt, and then slander, and then hatred. And even if we don't literally kill the person who hurt us, if we don't remove the roots through forgiveness, we will usually end up killing their reputation in our conversations with other people, attempting to get other people to agree with our view of that person. And if they won't agree with us, then we feel betrayed by them too. And in the end, a whole community can be defiled by one person who refuses to forgive, Hebrews 12, 15. 
Be careful lest anyone miss the grace of God and, make, and be careful lest a root of bitterness grow up among you, defiling many. We have seen that, Joel. We have seen that. Third way, sins are different. Sins are different in terms of how difficult it is to get free. I quit smoking very easily. Just today. No, that's a joke. That's a joke. But anger has been a much harder fight. In fact, one time I literally hoped that I had a demon. My buddy Dennis said he was at a church ministering and uh, the pastor came forward wrestling with an area of sin and he just put his finger on the dude's forehead and he manifested a demon, fell on the ground and the thing came out and after that he didn't struggle. And I said, count me in because I had been wrestling with my deep anger. You know, my life sucks. I hate my life. Oh, poor baby. Okay. My life doesn't suck, by the way. That's how I felt at the time. <laughs> so I ran to the front like, Dennis, pray for me. Hope it's a demon. Please be a demon. Please be a demon. Because I know from my friend Brad Jersak that children are much easier to deal with than, than, I'm sorry, other way around. Demons are much easier to deal with than children, right? Because demons always obey Jesus, right? So, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, true story, bro. So I went forward like, pray for me, Dennis, pray for me. Dennis puts his hand on me, takes about four seconds, and then he gets a big old smile on his face. And then, what am I? I'm angry right away. What? It's so funny. He says, the Lord says, it's just you. <laughs> Sins are different in terms of... <laughs> yeah, laugh at my pain. Sins are different in terms of how easily or more difficult... You fix the grammar. You know what I mean. Sins are different. What did I say that was number four? That was number three. Am I messing myself up? Here's four. Sins are different in terms of God's emotional response. God's emotional response. Internal consequences, external consequences, how hard it is to get free, God's emotional response. The God of the Bible is interactive and emotionally responsive. I, I, I went to seminary and we studied the Greeks and they were like, God is perfect. And they don't talk like that. But let's just pretend because I'm the one with the mic so I can be mean. God, the God of reality is unemotional and unchanging. Emotion does not befit the greatness of God. And I'm like, have you read your Bible? <sighs> right? What are you talking about? It's beneath him to feel. He is all pathos in the Bible. The, the prophets feel God's heart. Okay. He can be pleased. The God of the Bible. He can be pleased. He can be deeply angered. And those aren't... He can be overjoyed. He can be annoyed. Okay? He can be grieved. He can be quenched. There are... He laughs. He cries. He shouts. He whispers. He talks. He sings. He has a full range of emotions which is why we have a full range of emotions. There's this weird Christian idea that God vented all of his rage on Jesus on the cross so that now the only things he feels are a vague sense of well-being toward you because you're hiding behind Jesus. To that I say, what are you talking about? God goes especially mama bear. When our sins involve the vulnerable, 
such as widows, orphans, the poor, refugees, or little children. Jesus says it's better, it would be better to tie a millstone around your neck and toss it into the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Notice he doesn't say that about all sins. He says it about that sin because the vulnerable make him particularly protective. Fifth way that sins are different. Sins have different eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. I believe that people's experience of heaven or hell will be unique, personalized, customized to exactly the person each of us has become. There will be greater rewards in heaven for those who are more faithful. While even a cup of cold water in Jesus' name won't lose its reward, Matthew 10, 10, 42, a cup of cold water won't lose your reward. While that's true, but those who pay the ultimate price will receive an even greater reward. Hebrews 11 says that some people intentionally stayed the course when they could have backed down, they could have fled, but they stayed the course, quote, in order to receive a better resurrection. Friends, what could that possibly mean? Better than what? Better than it would have been if they hadn't paid such a high price. Their eternity is impacted. Are you with me? There will be greater condemnation in hell for those who are more wicked. In Luke 12, 47, Jesus says that a person who doesn't do the good will be beaten with few blows, but the one who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it will be beaten with many blows. Sin and ignorance is still sin, but God treats willful sin differently. For example, Luke 10, 12, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town that rejects the gospel demonstration and proclamation as Jesus is present. More bearable. Why? Because you have greater light. Greater light means greater responsibility. Greater responsibility means greater accountability. Okay, so let's recap. How are sins different? Sins are different in terms of their internal consequences. They affect us different. They distort us differently. Sins are different in terms of their external consequences. They mess the world up differently. Sins are different in terms of how hard it is to get free. They ain't the same. By the way, I could have added more numbers to this list. I could have said that each sin is different for, di for, this, for different people. One person might be showing a great amount of virtue to not punch me in the face. Another person is showing a great amount of vice to not give me a hug. We aren't the same. And Jesus grades on what he knows each of us has been through in life and who we are as a person. There's not like a rule book the Lord, the Lord appeals to. He appeals to his perfect truth and perfect justice, of which the law is an approximation. Okay, but that's a separate topic, and I didn't mean to open that.
So in these following ways, different internal, external, how hard it is to get free, different emotional intensities from God, and different eternal consequences in these those ways. Did I say following ways? You get what I'm saying. English be hard some days. You know? Sins are not the same. Okay. Take a deep breath. Do you need to get up real quick and just kind of stretch a little, maybe? Nobody does? Okay. Nope. Nobody does. Excellent. It's good to see you are not even remotely brainwashed. I think I'll just sit right here. Part two. Is it okay if I use my voices here? Because those are also on the list of things I was counseled. Please, please don't do that. <laughs> and don't do the Jim Gaffigan thing where you say our voice in a different voice than your voice as though you know what I'm thinking because you don't know what I'm thinking. That was ironic. Part two, how are all sins the same? This part I get very excited about. I get extremely excited about. The reason I get very excited about this part of the sermon is because this is the gospel, and I get to tell you the gospel, which you probably already know and cherish and treasure, but it's really good to stir up our faith in the center, the blazing center of the gospel, which is the love of God revealed in the cross of Jesus for sinners. Oh, okay. How are all sins the same? Romans 3 says that all of us have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so there we go. How is it the same? We've all, we're all in it. Isaiah 53 says, all of us have wandered away like lost sheep. James 2 says, breaking any, any part of the law is like breaking all of it. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in transgressions and sins. Dead. Not sick. Not broken. Not wounded. Dead. Not had some low self-worth problems. No, dead. There are no shades of dead. Last I checked. Like when my, like when my wife was pregnant. There's not shades of pregnant. There's not shades of dead. When my wife was pregnant, I would be like, dang, you are seriously pregnant, which was the joke. That was the whole, I mean, she'd be like, oh my goodness. The girl's like, what, 105 pounds and, and, and like way out to here. I used to say, you look like a deer who's pregnant with a cow. And then she'd say, oh, thanks, sweetheart. You're so, you're so just the best. She, I mean, she was like, wow, really pregnant. But that's the whole joke, right? The joke is there's no shades of dead. There's no shades of pregnant. Like no teenage girl ever calmed her dad down when she said, but dad, I'm only a little pregnant. And oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I feel a lot better. I feel a lot better. feel a lot better. The fundamental problem The fundamental problem Jesus came to deal with is the sin and death problem. I look around the world and I don't see, I don't see people concerned with sin and death and I'm confused. I'm so confused. Everybody talking about squeezing little things over here and making this a little better and this a little better when we're all gonna die. Are you not bothered by this? Does this not freak you out? Does this not upset you? 
and, and then before we do, we're going to treat each other like crap. There's no other issues to be dealing with than sin and death because all our other problems come from the sin and death problem. And Jesus came to deal with the sin and death problem. Can we detach from our answers to problems that are not really the problem for a minute and soak in the glory of the reality of the Son of God made manifest to bring life? to a world so lost and blind it doesn't even know it's smoking crack. That doesn't need to go in the webcast, that part, that last line. Just strike it from the record. Can you do that? You have technology? Yeah, because when I say technology, I always say it like I'm Amish. Technology. At the Saturn 11 or whatever and everything. Get back on point. The sin and death problem, guys. Like, I don't have a bigger problem than sin. I'm still daily dealing with the sin and death problem, even though I'm in him. He's in me. I glow with his presence. I don't deserve it. I don't make it happen. And I'm still like, what is wrong with him? Why so, why so little faith? I just, I, I ain't got time to worry about reading the news anymore. I'm, maybe you do. Maybe you're called politics. Maybe you're called to all sorts of stuff that I'm not called to. I just, I I'm too fragile to handle any of that garbage. i got to stick so close to Jesus to just not... Okay. Our ancestral parents, our ancestral parents disconnected from God. And since then, every single one of the rest of us is infected with a sickness unto death. It doesn't come from us doing bad things. Therefore, the answer is not stop doing bad things and be a good little boy. It comes from the disconnection from the source, from the fountain, from the well, from the origin for which we were made, and in whose presence we come into our actual intended design. So it doesn't come from doing bad things. No, we do bad things because we inherited a disconnection. So trying harder to do better doesn't deal with the issue. The nature issue, our nature, the identity issue, our destiny, nature, identity, destiny. The problem on those three fronts started in the, in, in the garden is dealt with in the cross and resurrection. Now, I just said the answer is not stop doing that and do the good stuff. That doesn't change, the, that doesn't solve the fundamental problem, which is the disconnection issue, the nature issue, the identity issue, which leads to the destiny issue, which means rebellion and religion are flip sides of the same coin. The older son is the religious son. He's lost at home. The younger son, the rebellious son, he's lost away. And they're both lost. And the gospel is something else entirely that deals with the disconnection from the father. Are you with me? So in this sense, in this sense, it don't matter if it's like your sins are little or your sins are big. If you're a good boy or if you're a bad boy. In this sense, all that matters is the connection there? What direction are you growing from the connection? 
in this sense, sin is the same. Lost is lost, dead is dead, sin is sin. Whether our sins, hold on. Whether our sins appear to us, big or small, we are all of us afflicted with a sickness unto death, and we can't cure ourselves. There's no one whose sin is so small as to render them worthy. And there's no one whose sin is so great as to render them unworthy now that Christ has died to make them worthy. See, you don't deserve the blood of Jesus, friends. You don't deserve the blood of Jesus. But you are worth the blood of Jesus. You are worth the blood of Jesus. The cross shifts the fundamental basis of my identity and my value. The cross of Jesus, the Messiah, shifts the fundamental basis of my identity and my value. No longer is it even legal for me to look to my life to see who I am and what I'm worth or even what I'm for. The cross has shifted the fundamental basis of my identity and my value. And therefore, it has also shifted my destiny. And never again, never again can I mistake what I deserve for what I'm worth. He took what I deserve because of what I'm worth. Nobody dies for trash. <laughs> and he doesn't see trash. He sees a treasure buried in a field. So he sells everything he has and he buys the field. Are you with me? The cross is the great equalizer. It humbles everyone. It levels the field. <sighs> And it exalts everyone. It raises everyone up, humbles everyone, exalts everyone. How? That's how much I'm loved. At home, there's always a cross on my left. And so if you catch me pointing to my left, it's habit. I'm referring to the, how tall is that cross? Eight foot? That the very tall cross that we painted with blood. Lyle Hamilton went to heaven last year, made for me with rough Rough cut lumber. I said, I want splinters. I want to get splinters handling this thing. Humbled how? That's how sinful I am apart from grace. That's how lost I am on my own. Exalted how? That's how loved I am. That's the true measure of my worth. And in this sense, like, dude, sin is the same. I, I find it fascinating. That sometimes the sins you and I think are the worst sins are not the worst sins.
This is the sense in which sin is all the same. If we're lost, there will be different levels of condemnation in hell. And if we're saved, there will be different levels of rewards in heaven. But the fundamental issue is connection to God through Jesus. And I think this should have four healthy impacts. Four healthy impacts. Number one, the gospel destroys the lie that I'm basically a decent person. So I deserve heaven. Like, yo, stand in the bright light of the love of Jesus in the ugly cross and tell me that. You know? I'm a good person and I deserve to be in heaven. Just say that to Jesus on the cross. Tell me, tell me you will. Tell me you can. You want to? You still want to? Oh, you went silent. Okay. Before the throne of Jesus in heaven on judgment day, I, I think many things that you and I thought of as our virtues are, are, are just going to fade away. We're going to realize how much of it was our temperament, our personality, our brain chemistry, our favorable social shaping forces. Those things are just going to fall away in our, our soul. The real self that made the choices with those raw materials will stand naked before the truth for the first time. And then, and then I think we'll understand that our virtues, even the things that really were our virtues, were still God's gifts to us, even though in life we offered them as gifts to God. I love the scene in heaven where the elders cast their crowns. Why, how are they constantly able to cast their crowns? Who's giving them their crowns back? Probably the father. You're worthy. He said, I've made you worthy. No, you're worthy. No, I've made you worthy. No, you're worthy. Stop. The cross reveals now in advance what the throne will reveal then. It just penetrates. The gospel goes cutting like a knife through butter of the human heart and motivation, revealing us for who we really are in our shame that must be removed and in our value that must be received. That line wasn't in the notes, but that was a good line. Sorry, Lord. The gospel, the second thing, the healthy impact. The gospel destroys self-righteousness and pride. Oh, my goodness. In Luke 18, Jesus tells, talks about two dudes who are praying, and the one's, first one's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, especially that guy. And then the second guy, he gets down on his face, and he beats his chest, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, he declares the second guy justified, just as if he'd never sinned. And he declares the first guy's prayer nullified, just as if he'd never prayed. I think that if we think of ourselves as good people, like I'm a good person, and think of other people as bad people, that should be like a warning light blinking on a dashboard of our soul going, uh-oh, help me. We've lost the gospel plot because the gospel doesn't say there but for the grace of God go I. It says there go I. Right? The line between human evil doesn't go through the society. It goes through my heart. 
your heart every day. Third gospel impact, healthy impact of this gospel. The gospel grows my mercy for others, my mercy for others. The Lord's Prayer says what? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And Jesus told a parable about the unforgiving servant who was forgiven like a million-dollar debt but refused to forgive his brother for a $20 debt. The gospel is meant to produce. The mercy received is meant to produce mercy in us. We're supposed to, now maybe let me, let me rephrase this, the natural fruit of the gospel is to make us into the grace of God. Oh, man, I got a story. I'm just not even going to. Should I tell the short version? Let me think. Nope. Fourth, healthy impact. The gospel provokes love for God. Provokes love for God. When this comes home, love turns on. In Luke chapter 7, there's this guy named Simon, and he says of Jesus, surely if this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. It, oh my goodness. She's got her hair down. <gasps> She's crying on his feet. She's kissing his, y'all, that is some problematic behavior. And Simon goes, there ain't no way Jesus is godly. There ain't no way Jesus is godly. Because if he knew who she was, he'd be like, uh-uh. Instead, he's like, that's how it's done. But the problem is Simon thinks he knows who Simon is. He thinks he knows who Jesus is. And he thinks he knows who Mary is. And he was actually wrong about all three. Mary knew her need and found the greatest treasure anyone can ever find. And Jesus summarized it like this. The one who is forgiven much loves much. Simon, who did not know his need, and he mistook his, mistook, 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 again with the English, mistook his sins for virtues. Yikes. In reality, I think Simon was probably the worst sinner, in the, the worst sinner in the room. Which means, if he had allowed the self-righteousness and hard-hearted, just lack of mercy, lack of love, man, pride, 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 oh, if he just let Jesus in behind the armor, behind the self, the fake ego, the self that he had constructed with all of his Bible verses and his religion and his generosity and his praying and his whole thing he's, he's, he's constructed. If he would just let Jesus in, he would be weeping, realizing the loveless, disgusting creature he'd become. I think he'd have been the greater lover at the end. Because certain sins are easier to see and easier to want free of. Mary had the kind of sins that people end up going, help! Simon had the kind of sins that made people go, you know what I'm saying? 
harder to get out. Can you see why the Christian tradition has always placed pride at the top of the list of sins? Tempted to tell on myself. I was walking into Food Lion and this young guy who clearly had the physical capabilities to not be homeless stood there and he pulled the wrapper off a sucker and dropped it on the ground sucked the sucker and it stuck the su- English he know what he did you heard you heard you, you have the gift of interpretation of tongues I did not hesitate I did not hesitate I did not premeditate I did not think I reacted I walked straight over to him picked up the trash didn't look at him one time walked straight over to the trash can put it in the trash can and walked into the food line. The whole time he cussed me from behind. I won't tell you what he said, but some of you want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. When I, when I, when I was done getting my sparkling water, because that's my jam, when I was done getting my sparkling water, I was like, is he still out there? I don't really feel like getting punched in the face. And then having the cops show up and having him say, you know, when they're like, what started this altercation? And he'd be like, he picked up my sucker wrapper, y'all. You know, and I'd be like, that's true. That's very true. That's what happened. You know. I began to ask God why that happened and what, why he got so mad. You already know why he got so mad. What was he feeling? Shame, somebody said. Anything else? I, we're all speculating. I didn't ask him, all right? You know I didn't ask him, right? What else? He felt disrespected. You're darn right. What do you think he felt, I believed, about him? You're darn right I felt like I was above him. Did I waste any time asking him, sir, can you please pick that up? Why didn't I? Because the kind of person, are you with me? Do you hear the way my brain works? Without me choosing to think this way, it's just so hardwired in. The kind of person who says, middle finger to the whole world, it's about me, is probably not going to respond graciously to me saying, sir, perhaps this was an accident. With with no time for me to think, my heart was revealed. Garbage person throws garbage on ground, quality person fixes problem with slight irritation and moral outrage, and not a smile. Who's the worst sinner, my friends? The man who drops trash on the ground or the man who drops people like they're trash on the ground? My friend Stanley could tell I was dismayed at myself and said, Tim, we can choose our motives in the moment rather than grovel I want you to choose love, intend love, okay? You, you might not have love yet, but the choice to intend love grows love. That was very helpful. Thank you, Stanley, because I was tempted to go down one of those little rabbit holes that I go down where I'm like, I need 14 years of counseling. No, you don't. You need to make the, ne- the next right choice that's a, that you're aware to make because he and I are loved the same. It's always good to make the group aware that the person with the microphone 
needs Jesus. <laughs> uh, not that you had any illusions already. You know what I'm saying? Like you weren't like, oh, maybe he's, maybe he's a rabbi. I, perhaps I should follow him. No, don't. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. Ready to pray? To me, there's a repentance in order with, with a message like this, right? There are sins of the flesh. There are sins of the spirit. Please understand what I mean by that. My pride, right? My lust is a sin of the flesh. One day, okay, hold on. Unpray. Break. Unpray. <laughs> Just hit pause on that, okay? Let me get back to you on that. Now he's done messed himself up, right? There are sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. What I, what I mean is like my pride affects a deeper part of me. The sins of the, fl- of the flesh, what I mean by that are sort of lower nature sins. Lower nature. One day I was, I was like, Lord, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I, and, I, and I was trying to reverse engineer. Why would I do that thing that I did? Why would I say that thing that I said? You know, and I'm like looking into my past and I'm psychologizing it and I'm like trying to find the roots of it. And the Holy Spirit interrupted and was like, stop trying to dignify your flesh. And I said, huh? What do you mean dignify your flesh? He said, you are looking for morally and intellectually respectable reasons for your flesh. I said, well, what's wrong with that? And he goes, it's actually quite simple. The flesh wants what it wants. It wants pleasure. It wants comfort. And it wants them both right now. Don't overthink it. Just repent. You chose to walk in in a moment of temptation. It's as simple as that. Get your big psychological words and go, stop it. But sins of the spirit, a little different. The pride, the ego, the need to have attention, the deep desire to have the affirmation of my peers. Holy cow. It's going to be almost impossible to obey Jesus if I need a very big vote of affirmation from people. The scripture says that, right? You cannot serve God and people. And that's why. All right. So we got to repent of the sins of the flesh, and we got to repent of the sins of the spirit. We got to agree with the gospel, what the gospel says about our identity, who you really are, who, who we are, what we're worth, where we're headed, and what we're called to live like on earth. And this is so big, and I talk about this all the time. Receiving God's love and abiding in his love. And receiving the Holy Spirit. So pray with me. All right, on pause. Father, we repent. We repent. I ask God right now that you would receive this, this us putting ourselves on the altar in Jesus' name. Just pray this in your heart. Father, I put myself on the altar. I put my soul on the altar. I put my body on the altar. I put my life on the altar. I I am sorry, God, and I repent of just obeying my lower nature. I repent, God. And I repent, God, of how I've been motivated by things other than love. I let go of my pride. And in place of that, Father, I receive what the gospel says. I receive your forgiveness of sins in a fresh way. 
I receive your love. Say it, say it in your heart. I receive your love. I receive my righteousness. I receive your power. I am worth your blood. Say it. I am worth your blood. I'm the one he loves much. I'm the one he loves much. I'm the one he loves much. All right, so faith, yeah, unpause, or pause, or whatever. Break. Faith needs an activity. Wash in the pool of Siloam, take up your mat and go. Stretch forth your hand. Faith needs an activity. Something about exercising obedience to the, to the voice of Jesus activates the healing. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. Ask him why. He's the one who... So raise your hand if tonight you sense the pull of the Lord on your heart. I'm not even going to look. If you sense the pull of the Lord, raise your hand. And tonight, if you sense the beauty of the gospel, raise your hand. And if tonight you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit to some sin area, raise your hand. I'm put my hand up. And what I would like is for you not to overthink it, but if your hand went up at all, just come into this main area right here real quickly. Don't overthink it. Kill your pride. So your hearts are the altars. Your hearts are the altars. Holy Spirit is the flame. In the Old Testament, when they, when they dedicated the temple, you all know the story. God lit the fire. God lit the fire. The priest didn't light the fire. God lit the fire. And the fire came on the sacrifices. That wasn't me again. I still didn't do that either. So just by coming forward, I'm going to pray that your choice to publicly acknowledge, I want you, because I feel like that's what it is, isn't it? I want you, God. I want you, God. I surrender, God. It's just a yes. But that yes makes this into the altar. Your yes is is the fuel. His spirit is the flame. And what is, what is born in us is love. Love. His love for you. So Stan, I don't know where you are, buddy. Does he still exist? He did dis dissolve into something? Stan and I are going to wander around and we're going to lay hands on people. You can, you can pray by yourself. We're not the magic people. You doing business with God is where it's at. But we will be around and I, I encourage you to take some time. I don't know if somebody wants to put on some soaking music is what I guess some people would call it. Some sort of music so that, you know, whatever, I don't even care. Jesus moves in the supermarket. I, I never saw Jesus take a band with him, but it is helpful. So I'm going to be laying hands on people. All right, let's pray. Turn this mic off now just to warn everyone. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.